All right, y'all, part two here on a Wednesday, June 29th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Must Podcast. You missed part one with Tennessee outfielder Jared Dickey. Guess what? It's right here, all in one place here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Gear Podcast. Make sure that you are subscribed so you can check out all the different content all across the Chase Must Podcast here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Today, uh, we've got uh, some more coverage here on the podcast. We've got Virginia football. Yeah, they hired a new coach, Tony Elliott, former offensive coordinator uh, at Clemson and was rumored to be in the running for the Tennessee job uh, a little over a year ago now. It's crazy how things change and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we were able to talk a lot about what's going on there with Jerry Ratcliffe, who covers UVA football and has done so for a really long time and has a great new website uh, that you should check out, jerryratcliffe.com, where he covers not just uh, Virginia football, but uh, Virginia athletics as a whole. So make sure that you go ahead and bookmark that and check that out this summer as you prepare to uh, learn more about the ACC, which dropped division starting next year. So uh, learn more about uh, UVA football and all that good stuff over from uh, by Jerry's website and all that good stuff. He does a great job over there and you'll learn a lot. So go do that today. Uh, we talked about the ACC changing uh, divisions, whether or not that would help uh, the Who's going into next year, Brennan Armstrong, and why there's a case to be made that he's the best quarterback in the ACC going into this year, uh, Bronco Mendenhall's sudden retirement, if that was a surprise, Elliott's first year uh, at UVA, we talked about the uh, biggest difference between the two, Bronco, um, just the what he left the program in, uh, how the offense will look differently some interesting summer storylines and then uh what this record looks like and why there's a case to be made that virginia is going to start off really really strong in 2022 so all that coming up with jerry in one second don't forget folks you can check this out in every other episode and all kinds of other great youtube content of the chase most podcast by going to youtube.com slash chase most podcast uh all kinds of great stuff there so make sure that you like and subscribe to the youtube page uh email me at chase double or at uh, chase thomas podcast at gmail.com you can also tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and then of course read me at sports renaissance man.substack.com type your email that easy that simple check that out today and yeah, part two, uh, as we keep this Wednesday edition here on the Chase Most Podcast moving, one more part uh, coming up to wrap things up with Fangraph's John Taylor on all things Major League Baseball. But before that, Jerry Ratcliffe on all things UVA football. And uh, yeah, all right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast taping this on a Tuesday afternoon where I'm now joined by someone who is quite, quite familiar with UVA and Virginia sports. It's Jerry Ratcliffe. Jerry, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Great, Chase. Thanks for having me, man. Enjoy it. Thanks for being here, man. How's the website going? How is everything on your end at the moment? Uh, good. Uh, I left the newspaper business like uh, many uh, veteran <laughs> journalists uh, have in the yeah. last few years. Uh, my site's four years old this month and uh, doing great. Um uh, a lot of Virginia fans on it, and uh, we're most grateful. I love it. I love that kind of stuff, and it's it's a cool thing. So, folks, go subscribe and uh, go bookmark uh, jerryreckless.com if you've not already done so. Uh, Jerry, I wanna I wanna talk to you about UVA football because we have some news that broke today on just the ACC eliminating divisions officially going into next year. Um, they get three permanent UVA does. Um, so it'll be a three, five, five model. Um, when you look at um, what 
UVA ended up getting, so the eight conference game schedule for the ACC and their permanent rivals. Do you think that was the right three for them? Uh, no, not really. I think Louisville. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think Louisville. They they seem to have forced Louisville on Virginia as a permanent rival. They they were previously Virginia's permanent rival when it was just two Virginia Tech mm-hmm. and Louisville. Yeah. And Louisville uh, uh, substituted for Maryland when the Terps jumped to the Big Ten. Mm. That money grab, and uh, so they had to put somebody in there. And Louisville was the newest member. Obviously, they replaced Maryland, mm. and uh, they became permanent rivals. And it worked out. It was a good basketball uh, rivalry. Um, mm. That was rather lopsided in Virginia's favor. Uh, I don't think Louisville won, but once the entire time they were in the ACC mm. against Virginia, but football didn't really make any sense, and still doesn't. Uh, there's really no rivalry there. Uh, I think Virginia fans would have much rather played someone like Georgia Tech, who they have a, a yeah. really great history with going back to the late 80s. Uh, and so, uh, a very nice rivalry with the Yellow Jackets. That would have made a lot more sense to Virginia fans, but uh, Louisville just doesn't seem to fit. Interesting. Um, do you think the new scheduling model and removing divisions helps UVA football in the long term, or do you think it just doesn't really have, move the needle either way? I don't think it helps Virginia. I know that their AD said that uh, she thinks what's good for the ACC is good for Virginia, but I don't agree. I think uh, mm. taking away divisional play, uh, Virginia only won the Coastal Division once since it yeah. was instituted in, I think, 2005, and that was in 2019. And uh, even though they were blown out by Clemson uh, in the championship game, it did give them an opportunity to play in the Orange Bowl, mm-hmm. which was a big deal for this program. And Bronco Mendenhall, as he was trying to build things. Um, but if you take away the divisional play, then Virginia has to finish – in the top two of a 14-team league instead of a seven-team division, and which I think is much more challenging. Yep. Um, I just don't uh, – if you look back at the history of Virginia football, it just uh, only twice have they been uh, co-champions of the ACC. That was in uh, 89 and 95. And um, – I just don't see Virginia's program at the point yet where they can challenge for those top two positions. It's going to be uh, make a lot for a lot more work for Tony Elliott and his new staff to try to finish uh, second in a fourteen-team league than first in a seven-team division. That's a good point. I mean, it's that's kind of where they're going. It seems like all across the board. And I was telling folks, like me being here in SEC country, like I don't think it will ultimately affect Tennessee all that much. I think Tennessee um, will has the opportunity to be in that top five um, and be in that top two type type of thing um, in the not too distant future. They can recruit at that level. They can get there, but. If you're a Mizzou, if you're a Vanderbilt, if you're a lot of these other programs, Mississippi State, it's like the divisions were something where, like you said, like it's easier to climb to get to that conference championship game when it's seven or six teams that you have to get through versus the entire conference. And I I do think the little guys will ultimately be canceled out of these championship games going forward. But 
I do like that there's going to be more diversity in the schedule. Like teams, like it's insane that there are SEC conference members that have not played on both uh, at both stadiums to this point, where Georgia fans have not traveled to AM since they've been to the move to the SEC. So you're like, man, I I understand that part of it, but it's like if that gets the scheduling fixed, where we get more of those kind of games and we get more diversity in the calendar um, and we get more conference games, I'm for it. But it seems like there's going to be a parity sacrifice uh, in terms of conference championship games and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense for the ACC because they mm. uh, they want to have two teams in the playoffs and, and they mm. figure that that's the best way to try to get a second team in is to have a strong second-place finisher who mm. – qualify for the playoffs. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But, um, yeah, maybe down the road, and, and particularly if they expand the playoffs. But uh, under the current structure, I, I don't know that it's going to help that much. The ACC seems to be feeling like the uh, redheaded stepchild of college football in the fact that uh, they can't keep up with the Big Ten and the SEC in terms of money. And yeah. I believe they feel like this might help balance the skills a little bit, although uh, I'm not certainly convinced of that. But, yeah, I, I think for the teams that um, haven't shown the capability of, of finishing in the top two on a, even a semi-regular basis, it's going to work against them in terms of of trying to um, win the conference or, or even play in the championship game. And that's um, – I don't know that that's good for the overall being of the conference. Um, certainly for the top of the conference where teams are competing for a championship, but uh, not saying that they, other teams can't, but um, I think the odds of it are, are, are stacked against them in doing so. I would agree, um, but we'll see. You do have one of the most fun quarterbacks in the country. Still, you got the southpaw. You got Brandon Armstrong, who's back. Um, is there a case to be made that he actually is the best quarterback going into the 2022 ACC season? Uh, I think Virginia fans would argue that for sure, and some people yeah. outside the conference as well. I mean, uh, he led the the nation in passing for much of last season, um, and uh, was pretty good in total yardage too because he's a dual threat quarterback. Um, I think they have learned that uh, they would rather him not run the ball as much because uh, when he got hit in that BYU high-scoring BYU loss last year, he was uh, broke some ribs and uh, missed the Notre Dame game two weeks later, which I'm still convinced that had he been healthy, they would have given Notre Dame a fight to the finish and, and might have pulled off the upset hmm. because it was here. Uh, he was enjoying a, a great second half of the season, and um, his numbers are are very impressive. Some of the best numbers in college football since 2009. Uh, he has great accuracy. He is uh, particularly uh, under pressure. Um, his numbers grew. Uh, mm. percent, his accuracy grew. Uh, play action uh, numbers are good. Uh, his deep throws are outstanding. He has some great uh, deep threats in Dontavian Wicks and Lavelle Davis, who missed last year with a um, 
knee injury, but the year before as a true freshman led the nation in long catches and average per catch. Uh, so he has great receivers coming back, and uh, I think he'll only be better as a passer. Uh, their new quarterbacks coach, Taylor Lamb, and their previous quarterbacks coach uh, would readily tell you he has every throw in the book. Hmm. Uh, and uh, he's a smart quarterback. He's uh, he's a very fiery kid, a good leader. Hmm. Um, I think there is a lot of argument there that he is the best quarterback in the ACC. Some experts will say fundamentally he may not be uh, what you look for in a first round or a top draft choice, but uh, he, he has found ways to overcome that, even though he, he might not be the most technically sound throwing action that there is out there, but he, he uh, finds ways around it. The dude just puts up numbers. Um, yes. <laughs> did you uh, did you have any inkling that Bronco Mendenhall was going to retire before he did it? Did you hear, hear some rumors, and were you not caught off guard like the rest of America in terms of Mendenhall stepping away? I think every I think everyone was off uh, caught off guard. Uh, Chase he, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he had won the Coastal Division in 2019 uh, ahead of his schedule. Uh, the COVID year, they finished uh, 500, and last year they finished a disappointing 500 after getting off to a hot start. Um, mm. uh, they blew the Virginia Tech game at home in the last game of the season with some really bad calls by the offensive coordinator who's now at Syracuse. Mm. Uh, but, um, uh, the, the, you know, when they didn't go to a bowl because the team was plagued with COVID, um I think it was a bummer for everyone. And then uh, their defense was atrocious last season. They couldn't stop anyone. They, In all the metrics that count, they finished in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there was a lot of pressure coming from the fan base to replace the defensive coordinator, if not the entire defensive staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that weighed heavily on the AD who – uh, essentially told Bronco he was going to have to do something. Uh, I think at first he agreed uh, just a couple of days after the season was over. Uh, it looked like uh, they had made an offer to Anthony Poindexter, the mm-hmm. co-defensive coordinator at Penn State, to come in and be the defensive coordinator. In fact, it was announced to some of the heavy hitters that that's what was going to happen. And then overnight, uh, Bronco changed his mind, and uh, he just couldn't fire his people. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, – So you think if he wasn't put in that position where he had to fire anybody, he's back? Yeah, I think so. And uh, hmm. I, I, th- I think uh, I think that was just too much. I, I, as you know, I, I think the Mormon uh, faction, uh, factor mm. weighed into that because these guys are more than just – assistant coaches on the staff they're almost like brothers mm. and uh I, I think it was just too much and and it just uh turned him off to the, to the degree that he felt like that if he had to fire someone that he, he would rather just fall on the sword and, and resign and uh, that, that's what he did and um I think it shocked uh, not only the fan base, but also the coaching staff. A lot of them were upset that that he would uh, throw in the towel that easily. And um, 
Uh, it, it was sad. I, I think the fact that uh, that he had been here six years and had rebuilt the program. It was a decent, respectable program. Of fun offense to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, a, a faction of the fan base felt like that he had taken them about as far as he was going to take them, and uh, so some people felt like maybe a change might be in order to advance this program to another level. Do you think we see Bronco again, or do you think he's done? Yeah, I've thought a lot about that, Chase, and uh, mm. I kind of hope he does get back into coaching because I I think the coaching profession needs people like Bronco. He's a very mm. uh, humble, honest guy who uh, loves his players and is good for the game. He believes in all the right things. Uh, I'd like to see him get back in it, but I, I wonder if this experience and the NIL and the transfer portal and, and all the changes maybe have left a bad taste in his mouth and that uh, once he experiences a year without football, mm. he's a very uh, intelligent man, a deep thinker who's involved in the Mormon church and, and a lot of other things. Uh, I wonder if that might uh, weigh heavy on him to, to maybe turn his uh, efforts in another direction and, and not return to football. So I, I think right now it's probably – at least 50-50, if not 60-40, that he won't come back. That's wild. Um, young dude, super, super talented and a really, really good coach. One of the more underrated coaches in the last 10 to 15 years uh, in college yes. football. Um, and that's another one where it's like you have Bill Clark who's out there. A lot of like underrated coaches who always wanted to be kind of at that premier school where you have the talent and see what they could do with just an unbelievable recruiting budget. Like, see what Bronco does with an unbelievable recruiting budget. See what Will Clark uh, at UAB, if he had gotten the Auburn job eventually and seen what he would have done there. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of what if for a lot of the good dudes in uh, college coaches and just kind of wondering what could have been if they had gone somewhere else. But I think by and large, I think if you're a UVA fan, you look at the Mendenhall experience as a net positive. And I think the program is in a better place uh, after he's gone than what he walked into, which is kind of where you want to be. You don't want to lose him, but if the very least the program was in a situation where you could attract the Tony Elliott, right? Where Bronco had it in a spot where, yeah, it's rough, but I mean, it was up to like, it looked like it was going to be Poindexter or Tony Elliott. And that's a good spot to be in where two guys who you, I mean, that uh, highly uh, great recruiters, two guys that highly respected in the game, and seem like more long-term fits uh, with the changing. And Tony Elliott knowing with NIL and just how to recruit, especially in that area. And I mean, it's an exciting time. So I think you can't – it seems like to me you would not be able to jump from Bronco to Tony Elliott if Bronco did not do what he needed to do with that group. So um, when you look at Tony Elliott, though, Jerry, is this – is this somebody you see getting to the next level? Has he already done stuff off the field in the spring and the summer that makes you think that UVA football could get to a level they have not been in a long time with him at the helm? Or do you think he's going to run into a lot of the same roadblocks that Bronco ran into? Uh, I think I think he will run into some of the same roadblocks, but I, I think uh, there's enough changes in his philosophy that, that he might be able to overcome them a little bit easier. Mm. Uh, particularly in recruiting, uh, he's already has eight, com- uh, excuse me, four commitments from the state of Virginia, mm. which uh, is more than some entire 
recruiting classes by Bronco during his six years here mm. in terms of uh, in-state recruiting. They, they just could never get a real foothold in the state of Virginia. And if you look at all the really great Virginia teams in, uh, since it, the George Welsh days, uh, those rosters were filled with Virginia talent. And mm. they, had, uh, they had picked up some really great athletes who went on to star in the NFL. Mm. Um, so I, I think he's um, refocused the, the energy in terms of recruiting um, to the state and particularly in the Tidewater area. It's a talent-rich area that hmm. North Carolina and Penn State uh, have taken a lot of really good recruits in recent years, even during the Bronco era, uh, particularly North Carolina. And um, So that may be why Poindexter uh, got a hard look there. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think that uh, I think that's going to help. I think this staff and the head coach are a little more laid back, uh, hmm. which I think uh, they've built already built a, a stronger relationship with their players. Mm-hmm. Um, to go see Bronco, I think a lot of those coaches, uh, excuse me, players had to make an appointment uh, hmm. to go see Tony. All they got to do is show up or anybody on his staff, I think that has um, made things a little easier and toward the relationship building part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the school has uh, invested uh, $80 million in building a new football operations center, which was desperately needed. Their other building was uh, constructed, I think, in 1990 and, and was really a breakthrough thing that helped George Welsh. Uh, advance his program and um, and add recruiting. Uh, I think that's going to help Virginia because it shows that there there's a commitment here to winning football. And sometimes I think that um, some of the heavy hitters were waiting to see what might happen with the program, whether mm. they were convinced it could go to another level before they would invest that kind of money. So I think uh, I think there's some things going on with uh, Tony's program that perhaps um, will enhance his abilities to, to make it a step mm. toward the next level. Uh, he's still got to prove prove it on the field, and that's going to be the tough part. Um, he doesn't use academics as an excuse. He embraces that part of it, and he feels like he can attract uh, academically inclined football players who, who can win. And the, the AD said there's no excuses that a academic school like Virginia can't have a, a winning football program. Um, Just look at Wake. <laughs> Wake Forest, yeah. Um, I mean, Notre Dame to some degree, mm-hmm. Stanford. Um, so it's possible. It's just a matter of going out and doing it. And uh, to do that, you, you've got to be able to recruit well. And that's that's been his big focus ever since he stepped on grounds. Has it been mostly positive from fans? Are they pretty excited from your readers and folks who is in the site and everything? Are they pretty – were they ecstatic that, like, Tony Elliott was their guy and if they had to pick one to replace Bronco, he was the one? And to this point, they're they're pleased with the direction? Yeah, Chase, uh, there was a lot of early enthusiasm for Poindexter um, mm-hmm. because of he, he was an All-American here and right. still remains one of the most popular guys they ever put on a Virginia uniform. Mm-hmm. Um. I think he would have been a great fit, even though he didn't did not have head coaching experience. Then again, neither does 
Elliott, but or Brent uh, Pry, who uh, went over to Virginia Tech. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I think he probably would have won more hearts over quit more quickly and, and energized the fan base mm. just because he's a Virginia guy and, and he knows what it takes to win here. But um, I think he wanted some things in his interview that the school wasn't willing to give. And uh, hmm. Tony, I think it was uh, up in the air between he and Tony Elliott. And Tony, uh, some of the things that I think that uh, Poindexter wanted, uh, Elliott did not ask for and instead hmm. chose, chose to uh, embrace uh, NIL situation here and academics. And um, he's a very impressive guy, a very friendly, down-to-earth, laid-back guy that I think the fans can relate to. Uh, he, he has energized the, re-energized the fan base. I, everybody who meets him instantly falls in love with him because he's just that kind of guy. Um, very enthusiastic, very positive Um he has a proven record as an offensive coordinator, and uh, he'll be the first to admit that sitting in the big chair is an adjustment that mm. he's trying to um, adjust to all those demands and, and let his coaches coach. Uh, we're still intrigued to find out how much of a footprint or fingerprint he will have on the offense. Mm. Uh, I don't know that he can help himself. Yeah, especially <laughs> in year one. Clemson's plays for uh, 11 years. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, if, if they couldn't get Poindexter, uh, I think Tony Elliott was an excellent choice, and I don't think they could have done any better, really. It's so funny how little things – because Tony Elliott was the guy I wanted uh, post uh, Jeremy Pruitt, where everyone on Rocket Top was like, oh, we're, we're actually – and we didn't think that there was a possibility Tony Elliott was an option for Tennessee because of just the situation, because – Everything, it's just amazing. Folks don't realize if you were in Knoxville or around, like just how bad it was in January, February of 2021. And to see where we are now, it's it's unbelievable to see the turnaround and just where things stand at this moment. But the rumors circling where it was like, Tony Elliott's got a real shot of taking the, he might leave Clemson for the UT job. And then, of course, it doesn't happen. And we, uh, we land uh, Josh Heupel and it worked out for all parties involved. And it's just funny because like we have a different world where if he's out, then it's Poindexter most likely who's coaching UVA because Elliot's in Knoxville and it's just the choices are all different. And I, I don't know. I think it's, it's super fascinating to think about the, the what if stuff here, but Elliot, I think uh, by and large, man, I, I think it's an exciting hire for them. Um, uh, but we'll see what ultimately happens. But I think that's a good gamble for, for UVA folks is uh, Tony Elliott and seeing what he can do there um in virginia but um what is the most interesting summer storyline for you that it can be from spring on is there a position battle that you've got your eye on what what has caught your eye uh this summer in terms of uh the actual players and on the field for for uva i think the big thing chase is what uh, john rudzinski is going to do with this defense Uh, Hmm. as we mentioned earlier it was one of the worst defenses in America last year, and they lost a couple of key players off that defense. So, well, do you think part of it uh, is just that the offense was so prolific that they were just putting up bonkers numbers, and Brennan Armstrong was passing so much, and their offense was so high octane? It's kind of like the Tennessee thing where you score so much, there's so many plays 
And it's hard to have a good defense when your offense is as efficient and as high octane as that UVA offense was last year, right? Uh, yeah, to some degree, I believe mm. that's correct. Uh, I mean, Bronco told us before the season last year, we're going to score a lot of points. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot <laughs> of coaches won't tell you that. Won't, mm-hmm. They won't make a statement like that. But uh, he knew his team, and he was right. He was uh, right, yeah. What we didn't know is that they were going to have to score a lot of points. <laughs> The win. I mean, you score. Well, maybe that's what he was also implying there. We're scoring a lot of points because <laughs> yeah. we might have to. Yeah, you score forty nine points at BYU and you mm. still give up sixty six. So, uh, and so over seven hundred yards of offense. So, uh, I, you know, even with that calculation in consideration, I, I still think this defense was still uh, pretty poor because fundamentally they just weren't sound. They mm. they struggled to tackle. Uh, they blew a lot of assignments. They were misaligned. Uh, they they gave up so many big plays. It was uh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in comes Druzinski, who from Air Force, who has a history of putting out some pretty stingy defenses and very fundamentally sound defenses, which I think uh, everybody recognized that's what Virginia needed. Mm-hmm. He uh, will be the first to tell you that he's used to accomplishing more with less in terms of talent. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that struck Tony's eye, um, and uh, he brought one of his assistants with him. Uh, they, uh, I noticed in the spring game that they seemed to be more fundamentally sound. They didn't blow that many assignments, particularly mm-hmm. in pass coverage. The tackling seemed more solid. Um, if somebody did get open, uh, there wasn't really any yards after catch. They brought them down almost immediately. Mm. Um, a lot of little simple things that make a ton of difference. Uh, that's going to be the challenge this fall because I think they're still going to score a lot of points, even though they had a mass exodus of the offensive line mm. through the transfer portal, which – didn't make any sense to me because they retained their offensive line coach who the hmm. players loved. But instead, they had one guy, an All-American center, go to Michigan. Yep. They had another guy go to Southern Cal, another guy to go to SMU, scattered out all over the country. Might to, be NIL-related. Uh, could be. Mm-hmm. Could be. And uh, But um, so, you know, that that's if they can find enough guys to build a patchwork line to give Armstrong enough protection. I still think they're going to score a lot of points because they might have the best receiving core in America coming back. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. But uh, those, I guess those are the big two storylines going into the fall is can this offensive line protect? Can they build uh, a little bit of a running game, which they haven't really had throughout the Bronco era? Uh, and Tony Elliott desperately wants to have more of a balanced attack where he can have a reliable running game. We're not convinced that it's there yet, and uh, and whether this defense can just field a, a decent unit to where they don't have to score 45 points to win every game. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the VT game this fall, is this going to be one of the more in- interesting VT experiences? Both programs bringing in new coaches, first-time coaches at the same time. 
Uh, I feel like I've just got the circle. I'm extremely interested to see how year one goes for Brent and Tony. Like, is that something UVA fans are excited about, especially this year with both coaches? I mean, kind of like there was some crossover with Brent Pry and Poindexter, DCs, co-DCs in Happy Valley, and he goes to VT. And uh, like that could have been hilarious if Poindexter ends up at UVA and Brent ends up at uh, VT. But is it especially interesting to you this year? You're really excited to see what that looks like between the two? Yeah, I am, and I, I think Virginia fans are as well. It was funny that Bronco and um, uh, Fuente, Fuentes uh, mm-hmm. were, both came in at the same time uh, True. before. Uh, Fuentes inherited a stronger program, obviously, and mm-hmm. uh, managed to maintain it pretty well uh, until they, things kind of fell apart toward the end, but uh, the fact that the game is in Blacksburg it probably doesn't have Virginia fans too excited because they haven't won there since 1998, mm. um, which has been an embarrassment to the program. Uh, their best chance to have broken that domination was here last year, and uh, they were driving for the winning touchdown in the winning moments of the game, and the offensive coordinator comes up with, with a brilliant play call to throw a behind-the-lines tackle-eligible pass uh, on third and uh, something like 10 mm-hmm. uh, down at uh, inside the uh, – in, in the red zone. And uh, yeah. the guy was <laughs> – the poor, uh, poor tackle caught the ball 16 yards from the goal line and uh, had absolutely no chance of getting a first down, let alone a touchdown. And so uh, – I think that led to a, uh, a lot of uh, issues with fans and the Broncos staff, the way they blew that game. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think everybody's going to be excited, but... Uh, what were you doing, though, putting Coastal before this game? Like, what is the Coastal spot right there? I don't know what happened on the schedule. When you look at the schedule, what are you doing throwing Coastal right in between Pitt and uh, VT? What happened there? Uh, that. That's yet to be explained, and uh, oh I don't know if they God. were trying to copy uh, some of the SEC schools who yeah. play uh, a non-conference. Well, uh, those non-conference games we play late are against teams we're going to be favored in beating. Like that's going to those are the cupcakes. It's kind of like a get-right week late in the year where <laughs> yeah. your bodies are beaten down from a lot of SEC action that you put a UT Martin or something on the calendar late to give you a breather. You don't yeah. go down coastal. <laughs> Yeah, we have we still haven't heard an explanation for that one. And, uh, oh my yeah, goodness! I don't think it was a very brilliant move. Uh, you know, in, in prior years they they wanted to play uh, teams like that up front in their schedule, like they yeah. they are mostly this year. With well, Richmond. that's what I was going to say. Is like this year when you look at their schedule, I was outlining like who could be this year's like 2007 USF, where they start off 6 and 0 they rise up the ranks kind of like Iowa a year ago where Iowa was number 2 in the country at one point and then things happened down the stretch but like a lot of people love Purdue's early schedule i was looking at UVA we were talking about on the podcast last week where i was like there's a chance they're favored in 5 of the first 6 games on their schedule that is very much in play like yeah, they, we they could play, be looking uh, play, they play Richmond at Illinois mm-hmm. Old Dominion at Syracuse at Duke Louisville and at Georgia Tech yeah, they're favored in five or six of those games, right? Yeah, yeah all winnable games. And uh, so they do have a chance to start fast. And they have a, uh, a very tough stretch uh, last game of October in the first two weeks of November when they play Miami, Carolina, yep. and Pitt, 
which should decide the coastal mm-hmm. in those three weeks. But uh, they're all at home, so that's true. Um, something to get excited about. But you know, if you uh, if you're familiar with Virginia or you're a Wahoo fan. Mm. Uh, you never take anything for granted when it comes to tech because there's been so many years when mm. Virginia probably should have won that rivalry game and either just didn't show up or found ways to blow the game like last year. Uh, so you don't take anything for granted when it comes to playing the Hokies. Well, let's end on this. How many wins do you think is when you look, we just went through the schedule, what, how many wins do you see and how many do you think is fair to expect from Tony Elliott with this group this fall? I'm thinking uh, seven is a good number. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, some swing games there that could uh, make it uh, increase to eight or mm. uh, conceivably nine if everything goes the way he hopes it will. Mm. Uh, also, if you know if they uh, if they can't defend, they you know they could drop down to six and six again. I think, but uh, I think seven is a fair. A number to start with, and then um, I, I think eight is definitely within reach, um, and we'll see from there. But uh, uh, that means that the offense is again going to have to click on all cylinders and probably put up a lot of points, and hope that the defense can hold on. I'm okay betting on the over there because I mean, if you have the best quarterback in the conference again, and there's no drop off going from Bronco to Tony, and he's okay with the the new offensive philosophy, and he's fine. Like, it's just you you look at last year, Wake and Pitt were both top ten offenses, and guess what? They both won ten games, and they were in the ACC title game. Like, if this offense is humming, like you said, and Brandon is the best quarterback this fall in uh, in Charlottesville, like, they, hey, guess what? they're going to be a good team and they're going to win a lot of football games. That's just kind of how the sport works. If you have an elite offense, it's really, really hard to keep them from winning the majority of their games. It's just how the game's yeah. played. Offense yeah, wins and, games. Yeah. And, and even Lindy, Lindy's magazine, football magazine, mm-hmm. Virginia second to Miami and the coastal. Um, so, you know, it, it's possible. They, uh, they can uh, not uh, slip up on that early schedule. Yeah. And, uh, find a way to win a couple of those home games in, in that key stretch they could they could win eight nine uh i agree it's hard to imagine them winning 10 because they've only done that once in school history but what year uh, was that uh 89 89 okay it was the year before they were number one and played tennessee in the sugar bowl uh, yeah speaking of tennessee like is that a thing born, i'm sure <laughs> yeah that, i was 91 just before i was born just before um do you think that's gonna be a rivalry because i always tell folks where i'm like the game that we should have on the calendar every year like the battle at bristol with b tech was huge and there's a lot of hokey fans in east tennessee and we're not far from hokey land where it's like i don't understand why that's not a non-conference uh game that we do a lot i think both fan bases would love an opportunity to go to knoxville or blacksburg like i would love a reason to go up there and then do bristol every five years or something but they're doing uva next year in nashville um we dropped BYU for that one. That might be game one for Nico. So y'all get to, you have that to look forward to potentially <laughs> on a trip to Nashville. But um, I don't know. Is there a possibility that could be something like, do you see a lot of Tennessee fans in UVA country? Do you think that's something that they would be interested in is doing some, trying to see if there's a rivalry there potentially? I, I think potentially, I, you know, since they're border States sort of, yeah. Um, uh, I would like to see it. I, I've always wondered why they didn't play Tennessee more uh, mm-hmm. 
West Virginia more and even Georgia more because they have uh, a very old history with Georgia going back yeah. to the well, you don't want to play Georgia right now. You don't want to throw that on the calendar right now. No, I don't, although they were supposed to open up uh, the COVID year with Georgia and the uh, Mercedes. That's right. Um, and, I, and that uh, got stomped on by COVID. But, yeah. Um, but, they, you know, they played Georgia several times in, in bowl games uh, throughout the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I would like to see them play someone mm-hmm. like that rather than uh, – Someone like Illinois, that they really have nothing in common with, uh, or some other big, meaningless Big Ten game. Uh, I, I think fans in this part of the country would appreciate a series with an SEC school a lot more. Absolutely. Jerry, how do the good folks check out your work? Support uh, jerryratcliffe.com. How can they, can they do that after listening to this program? Yeah, just uh, call it up. Uh, we're a free website. Uh, cherryrackliff.com uh, R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E dot com um, for anything you want to know about UVA athletics and uh, we appreciate uh, any support you'd like to give us there you go bookmark it check it out this summer as you get ready for another college football season all kinds of great coverage uh, not just UVA football UVA sports in general so Jerry thank you so much for making the time this afternoon I greatly appreciate it we'll have to check back in again soon Anytime, Chase. Love to be with you. All right, that'll do it for part two here on a Wednesday, June 29th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Must Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, my conversation with Jerry Ratcliffe on all things Virginia football. Uh, I very much enjoyed our conversation, so make sure if you in uh, if you did enjoy the program, make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is indeed how you checked out the pod today. Uh, as always, thank you for making the Chase Must Podcast part of your daily listen here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. I greatly appreciate it and hope you guys will return for the next one uh as always you can email the program at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and then of course check us out on youtube youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast make sure that uh, you like and subscribe and check out all of our great video content there but yeah there you go part three coming up john taylor fan graphs just one second uh uncle Derek, how'd i do Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.